Let's pray. Oh, glorious and gracious God, we are thankful for this opportunity to be together for your word. And we pray now that the Spirit would be working. Oh, Lord, open our eyes to your truth. Teach us as we spend our evening sermon series uh, together, uh, moving through systematically your word, better understanding uh, what it is that the Bible teaches. We ask that, that these times would be sweet in your word, that we would hear you, that you would teach us, that you would be glorified, and that we, your people, would be built up. Oh Lord, do this for your glory, the benefit of each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you'll turn your Bibles or move your devices to Matthew chapter 22, we're going to be looking at verses 34 and 40 this evening. Um, before we, we do, though, and while you're turning in your Bibles there, uh, a few weeks ago we started our evening series, and then the Lord brought uh, our regular break on the second Sunday uh, that we take in the evening, and then we had snow. Uh, and then there was pestilence, much sickness last week. Um, but we're back together now. And so I want to remind us what we're doing in the evenings in our sermon series. Uh, in the, the evening sermon series, we're going to be focusing on a survey of what the Bible teaches. We're moving through trying to get a better grasp and understanding of uh, the theological makeup of the Scriptures. And we're going to be using a tried and true uh, method of doing this, uh, uh, a method that's been uh, used within the Reformed churches for hundreds and hundreds of years, a little over 500 years, actually, as it were. And we're taking the, the Heidelberg Catechism, and it, it's our th- kind of th- thematic, uh, uh, is the railroad tracks in which we're going. It's our guide. It's, uh, it's, it's the map before us so that we might pull together what it is that the Bible uh, teaches. Now, we won't be primarily preaching from the catechism questions. We'll be preaching from God's Word, from passages uh, that have been used in bringing these questions together, but they are going to help us and guide us. The Heidelberg Catechism is a 450-year-old catechism, and like the Westminster Catechism, it stood the test of time. It's been a great blessing uh, to the church, and it is a faithful summary of what uh, the Bible teaches. As one PCA uh, pastor has remarked regarding the Heidelberg Catechism and its use, he, he's quipped, no doubt the church in the West has many new things to learn, but for the most part, everything we need to learn is what we've already forgotten. The chief theological task now facing the Western church is not to reinvent or to be relevant, but to remember, to remember. So might we walk the ancient paths Might we look to God's Word and remember what the church knows and what has been revealed to us? Might we, like Paul encourages Timothy, look to the the teaching that he received from his mother and grandmother? Might we look to the teaching coming from our forebears in the Protestant Reformation? For it's in the Reformation that we had the recovery of the gospel, the recovery of, of, of worship, the recovery of the structure of the church, and all this was looking back to the Scriptures. That's what the Protestant reformers did. They, they, they looked around and said, what is it that the Bible teaches how all of this is to be done? And that is what they went about doing. And some of the benefits of that, like we're going to be using, is the Heidelberg uh, Catechism. So we're not seeking to reinvent anything, but simply to look back to the Scriptures and to remember what the Bible systematically teaches as we move our way through. So this is God's Word. We're going to look at Matthew Chapter 22, 
verses 34 to 40, probably familiar to many. Hopefully we know and trust the Lord will use it this evening to our benefit. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he, that being Christ, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Since the reading of God's word for now, may the Spirit take this great truth and bring forth fruit in our lives. Uh, this last week, I had a little bit of time while I was sick uh, to, to do some reading and, and, and watch some things. And, and one of the things I came across was a very interesting discussion between uh, two individuals that you probably would know who they were if I mentioned their names. Um, these two individuals uh, were, were discussing many things. And what, what stood out first off is the fact that they were having a discussion. They weren't yelling at one another. Uh, so it was interesting to see an actual, like, mature, calm, in-depth, uh, not combative, but uh, still uh, a rigorous discussion that I was watching between these two. And they were talking about, though neither of them, to my understanding in any bit, are Bible-believing Christians, they were talking about the difference between Christianity and Judaism. And they both were a little off on their definition and understanding of what Christianity is and what the Bible teaches, but it was very interesting to hear the way that they interacted and they talked about this, uh, and they made the comparisons. Now, now, one of these individuals, they said they couldn't believe in Christianity for one main reason, and I thought it was I'd never heard this before. That was interesting. This is the way he summed it up. He said they couldn't believe in in Christianity, as I remember him saying, uh, this individual, because Christianity is about God making you good so you you then can do good things. Whereas Judaism, Judaism is a, a religious system that is about you doing good things, and as you do those good things, you're conformed to a different type of life, and that different type of life results in eventually being in the presence of God. So it's the exact opposite of one another. And this individual is saying, and, I, and I, just can't be, can't, I just can't believe Christianity because the whole idea that God would make you good, and then you would bear fruit from that. He didn't use those words. He, the words he used was just that you would then do good things falling out of that. that. That was hard for this individual to grasp. And yet at the same time, they were very happy to easily accept the fact that But it makes total sense that we would, we would conform ourselves to good deeds and do these good deeds. And that would bring us to God. And of course, this is like oil and water. These are like the antithesis of the two things uh, against uh, one another. And watching this conversation this discussion between these two individuals, because the other person was, you know, was, was going a little bit back and forth, and, you know, um, not a believer, but yet having a closer understanding of the scriptures, yet not quite there what Christianity was. It was almost like, I don't know if you've read any of Plato, and you're working through Plato, and you're like, man, wow, he's, it's amazing how close he gets to the realities of 
cosmology and existence and the way that the Lord has worked all these things out. And yet, as close as he gets, I think perhaps maybe even closer than, than any other non-believing philosopher or religion uh, that we have recorded, the gap between what Plato teaches and the realities of the scriptures is so vast that it's almost makes the Grand Canyon look like a, a little crack in the, the sidewalk that we see. And that's what this conversation was kind of like. It was listening and watching them and, and, and saying, oh, they're so close, but yet they're so far away. They don't understand. They don't understand Christianity. They don't understand the gospel. They don't even understand what we refer to as the good news or the bad news that ties in with that good news. All of that was nowhere to be found in their discussion. And in a sense, as I was watching, I was like, man. Now, one, I never had the opportunity to be in that discussion. I wonder if one of us was there. And then we were able to talk to them a little bit about the point of what we're looking at. Uh, maybe an angle that you're not going to expect here in Matthew 22 as we look at it, uh, pulling together some of our catechism questions as we're moving our way through. Uh, but I wish one of us could have been there. And we might be able to tell those two individuals what we're going to look at tonight. That's this. The big idea we're going to hold on to and we're going to think about, move our way through here, is that the bad, the bad news, the bad news is you're completely incapable of meeting God's standard of sinlessness. But the good news is Jesus. The good news is Jesus. And it was really sad because one of these two, as they were making these arguments, all the bad news is what they were holding on to. And that's where their hope was. Somehow they were going to make something out of this bad news. But it is. The bad news is that you're completely incapable of meeting God's standard of sinlessness. But the good news is Jesus. And we're going to look at the bad news and the good news. But before we do, let's look at the three catechism questions. You read those for us uh, that come with this Lord's Day evening. To Heidelberg question three. From where do you know your sins and misery? The answer is from the law of God. Question four, what does God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in a summary in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And then question five, can you keep all this perfectly? No. No, I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. And that's the aspect of Matthew 22, the summary of the law. We have right there the two great commandments, things that we rejoice in, we're happy about. We're going to see the good news, but before we get to the good news, we have that, the bad news. And, and the bad news and the reality is, is what Christ summarizes and what, what is totally missed and in many of the interactions in the Gospels Christ has with others, as he, as he lays out what it is that God requires, and that's the perfect law-keeping. It's wild how often so many of the folks interacting with Christ, uh, act, they, 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 they assume or, or they respond as if they actually are doing it. Like they're actually keeping the law. When, when the Sadducees came... 
And they started interacting, and they got pushed away, and, and then they came to the side, and then the Pharisees stepped forward. When, when they came and asked this question, and when Christ responded this way, and they heard the bad news, the response should have been like Isaiah before the throne room of God, woe is me. How am I to love God with my entire being? How am I to love my neighbor? Truly. How is this possible? All this is is bad news. Bad news. So this bad news that we look at, I get it, it's a little bit of a downer. Uh, you probably had a good idea, maybe looking at the order of service as we were moving our way through. Is, uh, the title of this sermon was, You're Not Good Enough. So this is like a classic encouragement boost this evening. But the reality is you're not. And we need to know the bad news before we can get to the good news. So this bad news, you got to hear this bad news to understand the good news. And I understand most people don't want to hear bad news, ever. I don't like hearing bad news. I mean, I don't know, maybe you're different. Maybe you enjoy it. Maybe you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, man, I wonder what bad news I'm going to get to hear today. But most of us, no offense, the rest of us are like, I wonder what good news I'm going to get to hear today. So bad news isn't something we like to think about, but it's extremely important and we need to And in fact, the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, there's just three Lord's Days out of the entire year that they've set aside dealing with this bad news. And then the rest of the year is all focusing on the good news and unpacking the good news. So bear with me as we walk through the bad news together. Because we can't function, we can't live life, we can't deal with the problems that we face. If we don't have all the information, we don't understand the full situation. And often it's hard to hear news, bad news especially, but without hearing the full picture, we don't know how to plan or to move ahead. We don't know what's really going on. We get part of a picture. Um, Think of it this way. Can you imagine, um, if you've never been in the military, I was never in the military, but but I've seen a movie or two, read some books, I can think about what it might be like to be a commander in in a battle. What would it be like to be the general who's back just off the lines, you can hear the fighting, and you've got all your aides running in, and they're telling you what's happening. Of course, today, I guess there'd be screens, and you'd be watching drone footage. And what if you're watching the screens, but before the battle is the general, you said, now listen, bad news really bums me out. So what I'd like to do is let's put a little algorithmic filter in here. I only want to see pictures of good news. Stuff starts going bad on the battlefield. I don't want to see that. That bums me out, and I need to win this battle. That's crazy, right? I mean, that's silly. All the children, that's ridiculous. you got to know what's happening so that you could fight the battle. Or maybe another way. Think about it. If you're a doctor and you're treating people and you're trying to figure out what's going on, can you imagine a doctor who would, who would tell the nurses after they did a full workup on a patient and then the doctor says to the nurse, listen, um, as all this stuff's coming back in, just kind of throw away all the bad tests. I don't want to know about those. I just want to know the good news so that I can tell them the good news and we can focus on the good stuff. We just want to focus on the good stuff. Now, that's nuts. How how would a doctor take care of somebody if they didn't have the whole picture? How are we spiritually to know what's going on without the entire picture? The church, Christians, we can't act like that general or that doctor that I mentioned. We can't bury the reality of the bad news that people are sinners. Because when we hide that bad news of sin, then right off the bat, we come to people with an incomplete gospel. 
And we come to people and, and they don't have the ability to fully understand who the Lord Jesus Christ is, what he's done, and what he's doing, and why asking his forgiveness and trusting in him is so important. Hiding the bad news of sin keeps people from learning about the great danger that they're in. It's wild when you read through the Gospels, you see some of the things that Christ focused on. And one of them, primarily, was he was warning his hearers about hell. Bad news. First thing he said that's recorded when he came preaching. The first thing recorded of Christ in his first sermon that's heard. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. And I know that, that that's not popular. It's not stuff that we want to focus on today. But the bad news has to be heard before we can get to the good news. We have to. You have to wake up to the reality of the bad news. So we read Matthew 22, which is a summary of the law. Uh, basically, you get love God Love people there, Christ telling it in the response. He's summarizing the law for those who are questioning him. And when we look at the scriptures, there's, uh, as uh, Reformed theologians have come to understand and develop, there's three uses of God's law. There's three uses that matter. There's three uses that God, that God takes the law and puts it to work for himself. Uh, the first use is that the law, God's law, shows individuals, shows you your sin and that you need Christ. You need grace. So you can think of it as, a, as the law, as a mirror that's put up against you. And the law, you look into it and it reflects and you see clearly how sinful you are. And it rightly should then drive you to Christ. The good news. You get the bad news and it drives you to the good news. The Lord Jesus Christ. Now the second, uh, the law, God's law, in the civil sphere is used as a restraint. Think about like thou shalt not murder. That's a good law. Yeah, work your way up. Those are good laws for countries. Think about lying, stealing, all these things. These, are, these restrain evil within civil society, the second use of the law. So first use, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, the law points out our sin and our need for Christ. The second restrains evil in the civil society. And the third use of the law, the law tells us, guides us how God wants us to live. Doesn't doesn't say do this to earn my love so that you might be saved, but instead is this is how I want my creatures to live, and the fruit that I'm going to work out in you. This is how I want you, my people, to live in the power of the Spirit and in union with Christ. But going back to that first use, when we hold the law up to us like a mirror and we we look at the law, we get that brutal bad news. But we need to hear the brutal bad news. We are sinners in need of grace. And we don't just need to hear that once. Not that we want to be those folks that are constantly navel-gazing and just looking for negativity. But, but we're reminded, like when we come together on the Lord's Day in the mornings and we confess our sins, there's a reality there. Remember we talked about meekness today, that we're coming in submission to God, owning the fact that the bad news is real, but rejoicing in the good news that we're going to get to in a minute, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thinking about this bad news, uh, Kevin DeYoung, a PCA pastor, he writes this, the catechism, speaking of this portion of the Heidelberg, the catechism puts the matter bluntly. 
I have a natural tendency to hate God and my neighbor. That sentence sums up a gigabyte of biblical teaching. As Romans 3.10 tells us, no one is righteous. As Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As Jeremiah 17.9 says, the human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. As Ephesians 2.1 tells us, the natural man is dead and trespasses in sin. And as Titus 3.3 says, by nature we pass our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. You think, no, 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 that's not true. And then I say, well, we just got to turn on social media. Like, just flip through your feed. I mean, sadly, this is the way that in this fallen world, short of God's redeeming grace, that we treat one another. The passages just keep coming. They're pounding us into submission until we cry, as Isaiah did in Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Woe is me, for I am lost. Think back to that conversation I mentioned earlier between the two individuals, between Christianity and Judaism. And the one individual saying, I just can't can't believe Christianity, this idea that God would make you good so that you then could do good things to his glory. But instead, what I can hold on to is that I can do good and follow God's commands so that then I'm kind of work my way up into his presence. Keep that in mind as we read this. We can't keep 613 commandments perfectly. That's how many are in the, the Torah, in the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. Neither can we keep 10 commandments. We can't even keep two. Love God, love neighbor. Isn't it ironic that the catechism shows us our misery through one of the most treasured devotional passages in all of scripture? Everyone loves Matthew 22. Rightly so. It's a beautiful passage in Christ's summarizing of the law. Just teach the two great commandments, people say. Avoid theological wrangling. Avoid doctrine and propositions. Love God, love neighbor. This is what it means to follow Jesus, as people say. True enough. But where do we turn for Comfort when we despise God, when we ignore our neighbor for the tenth time today? I think that's a key question when we think about it. Where do we turn for comfort? Where do we turn for comfort if we don't grapple with the reality of the bad news that leads to the good news? Do you really love God with every fiber of your being, never putting any person or dream or possession before him? And do you really love your neighbor as yourself, always aiming for the advancement of others, always putting the needs of others ahead of your own, and always treating others just as you wish to be treated? So as we've walked our way through the bad news, it should make the good news even sweeter, I hope. Even if we just spend a moment or two on the good news. The good news, which is the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel and the reality that by grace through faith in Christ, we have forgiveness, redemption, salvation, adoption as sons and daughters of God. 
And I think there's an aspect we should keep in mind. There, there's uh, this good news is just as important for the unbeliever as it is for the believer who's matured in the faith for 60 years of their life. Because we don't just look to the gospel once. Gospel isn't just about hearing, repenting, turning to the Lord, and then moving on. Oh, I took care of that. I got all that figured out, and I move on. But it's what we, I mentioned earlier. When, when you, tomorrow, it's 9.30 in the morning, and you've already sinned more times than you can count, where are you going to turn for comfort? Where are you going to turn and cry out for grace? It's the good news. You turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. You turn to our loving Savior. That's the news we need every single day. That's why the gospel is so important. Yes, witnessing it to unbelievers. Of course, it's, you can only imagine how beautiful it is. The great pearl. When the unbeliever comes across that, that great news of the reality, there is forgiveness for my sins. And I can be reconciled to God. And it's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in, not in myself doing all of these things that I might one day conform myself up enough enough to be holy enough to be in God's presence. But the exact opposite. That God would redeem us and save us. That we have forgiveness in Christ and the work that Jesus has done. That is wonderful. But dear saints, as you, as you move through your life, don't seek to ignore the bad news. Because outside of the bad news, there's not a, a connection to the good news. Because you need the gospel every single day. I need the gospel every single day. It's an important reality of our lives. We never outgrow the gospel. Children, we never get mature enough in the faith that we do no longer need the gospel. In fact, as you mature and get older, and if you ask some of your parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles... Maybe some of the gray-haired folks, more gray than me in the church, who have been walking in the faith for a long time. What they're going to tell you is the gospel becomes even more important and sweeter the more you mature and the older you get. You don't think less and less of Jesus and what he's done, but you think more and more of what Christ has done. And you revel in it and rejoice and enjoy him. It's a good news we need every day. And as we see in the context of the scriptures, it's not, a, uh, it's not a, a reality where we just wallow in our sin like a pig in slop and just think, well, it's just who I am, just a sinner. No, that's not the reality. We know that when God redeems us, that he changes our affections away from the former pursuits and the former loves that we had, these sinful things, and he turns our affections to him. But we're not perfect, we're not holy, we sin, and we need his grace. So we flee to Christ and we flee to him every day. I do think the bad news that we looked at, this bad news of sin and death, truly caused the good news, the good news of Christ and life in Christ, life eternal and life abundant now. Again, I hope you can agree, it makes, the bad news makes the good news sweeter, makes it more glorious beautiful. So we looked at the bad news, we looked at the good news. Dear saints, I encourage you that the bad news is, the reality is that you're completely incapable of meeting God's standard of sinlessness. But the good news is Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, even as we hear the 
the bad news, we ask that the bad news would then cause the good news to ring in our ears. Lord, as we, as we sin each and every day, that our immediate response would be like the psalmist falling before you, crying out for your mercy and your grace and your care. Lord, when we sin, when the bad news hits us, may we not run and flee from you and hide as Adam and Eve seeking to to hide from you in the garden, but instead may we run as swiftly as possible to the cross and to Christ our Savior. We might cry out for your mercy and your grace as we revel in it and enjoy it and praise you, that our love for you might grow, our understanding of the sweetness of the gospel would as well. So Lord, we love you and we thank you for this evening and our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.